The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now uh, to God's Word. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. For the next couple of weeks, we are going to be focusing on the death of Jesus and how that is a practical reality in our lives. It's not just something we look back to, um, but it's something that should shape everything that we are and everything that we do. Uh, so let's go to the Lord now in prayer as we consider this reality. Father, we need you this morning. Um, there's no one that needs you more than I. So would you come by your Spirit, would you give me wisdom and discernment, give me the ability to communicate? Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, the gospel is a leveling influence and power. For all ground under the cross is level, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, O God, all are justified freely by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so this morning I beg you to make this a reality for us in this room. Some of us need to get it for the first time and to have our our hearts reoriented toward the gospel in a brand new way. Being literally born again and having eyes to see the kingdom and eyes to be humbled by the work of Jesus to get the gift of faith to believe that Jesus is the Savior. But Father, those of us that profess to believe, those of us that have believed for a while need a new work of Your Spirit today because our hearts are hard and life competes in so many ways for the life of Jesus. So God, would you come, and by your power would you do great and mighty work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a little boy, my favorite TV show was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anybody else watch that? Any for There we go. All right. Well, what about Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon? Sunday. All right. I knew it was one of those. Uh, 
4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, man. They, it, they would come on, you know, we would see uh, life in Africa, the wild kingdom of Africa, if you will. And the thing that I loved the most was the kill. I, I loved the lions. Because they would like be stalking, you know, these wildebeest, this herd of unsuspecting wildebeest. And man, when they kind of, you know, they'd be moving like this. But when they got up and ready to pounce, you knew that some something was going to die. Because if you got in the way of what that lion wanted and that wildebeest, you were going to die. I mean, it was ferocious. And I was thinking about it. Really, that's what came to mind this week as I was thinking about why the good people killed Jesus. It wasn't the immoral people. It wasn't the, the crooks and the thieves. and There wasn't an outbreak or, uh, of the, the prison or the jail and the bad people came. and No, it was the good people. It was the upstanding people. It was the religious. We give the Pharisees a bad rap, but they were model citizens. They were the moral people. And yet they're the ones that became so enraged, so out of their normal character, if you will, that they killed Jesus. They bent the law. (laughs) And they used their power. They leveraged it for His destruction because they wanted Him dead. And the reason that that happened is because Jesus got in the way of the system that they were looking to for life. I mean, that's what's going on with Peter. Our text starts with Peter. Peter's like, Jesus starts talking about how he must suffer many things and go to Jerusalem, suffer many things in the hands of the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees. And Peter pulls him to the side and says, no, 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 no. That's not how glory works. That's not how you get life. No, no, no. The Messiah. Let me remind you of the Old Testament. Our Messiah comes... He conquers the bad people, he sits on his throne, and we, the good people, reign forever. And Jesus said, you don't get it. That's not how it works. I must suffer, and I must die for you to live, Peter. And that principle, my life for yours, is is not just something that we receive... And, 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 and get the benefits of the saving work of Jesus, forgiveness of sins, righteous standing before the Father, an heir of eternity, a future to look forward to. No, this becomes, this my life for yours, this, this message that comes from the cross becomes the very principle through which we get life this side of heaven. And we don't get that. You see, here it is. Jesus said, whoever would be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Well, what does that mean? Whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But he who gives up his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean practically? That sounds so good. Okay, so I'll take the trash out. I'll, I'll take my wife out on a date this week. I'll, I'll clean the car. What, what does it mean? That's what I want us to look at this morning. And so first we need to look at this, this whole reality that whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. What does it look like? We've got to get in our heads what it looks like to save our lives. 
So let's look at these slides that I showed you last week. And I knew this would happen. I see many here that were not here last week. But I'm going to go through this quickly because then we're going to apply it to all cultural community segments. You see, there we can answer this individually, and we all need to answer it. How am I trying to save my life? But I think if we break it down into our cultures, three or four different cultures that are predominantly represent Memphis, then then it might be able to, a little bit more manageable for us to, to be able to see what it looks like for me to save my life. So we looked last week. We used the MTR slides uh, that showed us that according to ACT scores, the test that everybody takes to get into college, 36 is the highest score. 12 is, I guess, just guessing on every question. Um, let's look at the next slide. If you look at a map of Memphis, you have downtown Memphis down here. There's Marion on the, uh, the this side, the left side of the map. If you start in downtown and you head east along the Poplar Walnut Grove corridor, you see that the ACT scores get better and better and better. Um, and we looked last week. Go to the next slide. That. It's actually worse than that. The disparity is worse than that because if you come back to North Memphis, South Memphis, those in North Memphis, South Memphis, even though they're averaging, uh, you know, 17, 16, only 9% are going to get higher than a 21. In South Memphis, um, see, North Memphis is going to say, yeah, I told you North Memphis, North Memphis, you know. But in South Memphis, they get only 2% are going to get higher than 21. But the further you go, you see that 72% to 69% are going to get over a 21 in the county. And we talked last week, um, let, we go to the next slide, we talked last week of how um, this shows that basically that quarter is predominantly white. And that's where all of the uh, resources, financial resources, educational resources, uh, go along that line. We see unemployment is in north and south Memphis, not the county. Go to the next slide. Household income, we see those that make the most are the darker shades, and um, with the exception of Mud Island, you go, you start going down Poplar Central, uh, Walnut Grove, Park, uh, all the way out, and you have the most money out in the county. All right, go to the next one, and we see that in terms of the family, single-parent household, north-south Memphis, have uh, the overwhelming majority of single-parent um, households. So if you look at that middle section, if you look at the poplar quarter, if you will, you've got to say that's what it looks like to save your life. Okay, so let's think about that for a minute. Um, That occurred predominantly during integration, forced integration. And so what did those along poplar central, the, the move east, do? Well, started private schools started country clubs, um, started private churches, or there were private churches already, um, but churches in which African Americans could not get in. All right? So those, the children of those that intentionally did that, and then the grandchildren are born into that, and now that's just how life is. And, and hopefully some of you can see, because I'm going to get to... to the different cultures in the room here in a minute, hopefully some of you see um, why, not justifying it, but why those that born and lived their whole life, Poplar, Central, Walnut Grove, East County, um, um, can say, well, you know, we're not the ones that are responsible for this. 
All right? Because this is just how life is. All right, so, so now we seek life. It, right, it is how life is, but the, the way we seek life is, okay, this is life. We can't move. We have to be, we've got to be safe. We, we have to have private education. We, we have to have club. We have to have this, inter, this segregation, this intentional segregation. This is life. All right? And so if you go and, and you look at that, um, you can see the disparity because even within the Poplar Quarter, the predominantly white area of Memphis, you're going to have liberal and conservative. And so the conservative way to get life is to work hard, um, put your children in private schools, be able to afford all the luxuries because that's what a responsible, good Christian husband or father does. I mean, that that's our, the core value of that. But if you're liberal, then, well, you're not like those white conservatives. You, um, you are about not just making money, which you certainly make money, but, and you certainly, uh, segregate, but you are about causes. You're much more kinder and gentler. You, you, you support the arts. Thank God that you have. That's why we have a symphony. That's why we have, you know, the Orpheum. It is predominantly our uh, liberal um, Christians, if you will. But if you go to the liberal, if you go to the white conservative, or you go to the white liberal, and you say you have to give up your life, you better be ready to die, because these cultural idols um, start coming out. Well, why would I, a hard-working, I've earned what I've got. I, I deserve this. And, and therefore, why would I, I mean, why would I give up for people that don't deserve what I deserve because they're not willing to work or they're not, I mean, now you begin to see. Well, then we go to North and South Memphis. And we see communities that, have been abandoned by the resources of the city. And living in that oppression, seeing, growing up in this hopeless reality that no matter what I do, I'm not going to get ahead. Um, but, but here is this, the way to get ahead, I mean, the only people that have money, the only people that look like they, they're achieving some success in my environment are those that are doing illegal things, gang life. And, and gang life has replaced the family. It gives me a sense of identity, a sense that, I mean, you can start seeing and... The, the sins that the white, conservative, and liberal are completely blind to, those in North and South Memphis have their eyes wide open to. It is abundantly obvious. Thus the bitterness. <laughs> Thus the justification of crime. And now hear me. Not every white person along Poplar and is, you know, and not every African American in poverty. You just listen to the generalities. Listen to the generalities, all right? And so you grow up where you're more likely to go to jail as an African-American man than to college. Why not just give in to it? And I'll, I can rob 
them and, I mean, come on, I deserve this because look at the injustice of my life. And, but then you go to the African-American middle class, upper class who have made it. And they've made it by learning to uh, navigate a white life, a, light, a white workplace, an educational system maybe, but definitely workplace. Um, and in that community, there's a sense of, okay, I'll work, I'll use this system to work and to get ahead and to make it, but I'm not going to socialize with these white people because uh, <laughs> i got to deal with it all week and I don't want to, you know. Or, you know, so they're not going to move in that direction or they're not going to go back to the hood necessarily and, and, and bring help because they're ashamed um, because the, the, the perception of those in the hood are bringing the, you know, make all black people look, you know, bad. And so you can begin to see how in generalities there is no way that you are going to have a radically new community in Memphis, Tennessee unless you have a different message. And that is precisely what goes on in every generation, in every culture, in every country around the world, because our hearts are the same. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. Nobody deserves good from God because we have all rebelled against God in our different ways. And because of that... God's people, even if they've been oppressed, even if they have been put down, and let me put a parenthesis here, God's people have always been oppressed and always been put down. Our history is slavery. Our history is, is, is a people of captivity, is the object of persecution. And yet, where is the persecution of the church today? It is not present, not because the gospel is not offensive to those in power, but because we have assimilated more to the culture of those in power than we have to the gospel itself. Because the gospel says, my life for yours. If the King of glory gave His life for you and for me, who in the world are we to be to think that we are greater than the Master and we deserve any more? Do you see how the Gospel is not just something that, that saves us? Hallelujah! If you're, not, if you're here today and you have never heard the, the reality of that message for the first time and you're just now, lights are coming on and you're realizing, yeah... All of sin and false, it's not just, it's not the rich, it's not the poor, it's not the black, it's not the white, it's not the Latino, it's not the Asian, it's not those conservatives, it's not those liberals, it's me. If you're just now realizing that, praise God, because that takes a work of His Spirit. And that means He's at work in your life. Give in to it. Because then you can see the glorious hope of Jesus, who hung on the cross, went to the grave, and then rose the third day. So that now you have acceptance with God. So the question for all of us this morning is, what does it look like for you 
to save your life. How are you seeking to save your life? Go beyond, well, I know that I accepted Jesus as my Savior and my... But how are you not living the life of Jesus and thereby trying to save your life? Secondly, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So how do we lose our lives? Let's look at this first slide or this next slide. This is how we... um, Go to the next slide. Yeah, that was a good verse. I forgot to use it, but... uh, Let's look at this. All right. What does it look like to lose my life? Well, we've got to see what it looks like to save my life. And this is, this is pretty much it. When, when I am not trusting Christ alone for my salvation, when I'm not looking to Him to be my beauty and my wealth and everything in life, then I've got to bring in something else. All of us are looking for justification. All of us are seeking righteousness. All of us want to, to, to look right and good. And this is how we do it. We use anything and everything around us. Money, beauty, respect. We could add culture, reputation, accomplishment, attention, morality, or our immorality. You can seek, build yourself up by being the baddest one around. Alright? The, the greatest partier. That's the fraternity life. That's the, all right, we'll keep going. Uh, spouse, children, travel, respect, all these things. So you're pulling in, and what you're not doing is seeing God in your neighbor. And so let's go to the next. When, when a person has really received the gospel, and Jesus has become their beauty, their majesty, their treasure, everything to them, and they stop trying to find an identity because their identity is Jesus Christ, then that struggle and that that work is over because Jesus has performed for them. Jesus goes to the Father and says, here's the performance. Here's the success. Here's the beauty. And the Father says, great. And we get pulled up into that and God now loves us. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We are one in Christ. Therefore... We can see God and worship God and we can love our neighbor. All of a sudden, we can begin to be honest and not be dishonest because we have to have money and keep our job. We can fight for justice for our neighbor because even if it's an overwhelming fight, even if it, it, you know, victory is not anywhere in sight, it's okay. We can give ourselves away because we've got an unlimited source of identity and power. We don't need success. Because Jesus is our success. He is our life. And there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness and the prejudice and the classism falls away. And all of a sudden you begin to listen to your neighbor, try to understand your neighbor. Stop trying to be bitter. Stop trying to to, to pull back and hold yourself. But you can give yourself to God and those around you. You see, slide number two is the result of someone understanding God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the very righteousness of Christ. Jesus willingly gave his life away. And dear friends, that's what he's calling us to. 
Listen to John 10. No one has taken it away from me. He's talking about his life. But I lay my life down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Dear friends, what would that look like? To be so enthralled with Jesus. For Him to be so much wealth and beauty and success and power to you that you could give your life away in unthinkable ways. What are those unthinkable ways? That's what Jesus is calling you to. Isn't that beautiful? And the only thing separating you or I from those unspeakable, unthinkable things that are just way beyond our grasp, fear is the only thing holding us back. And the very foundation is faith for the believer. I believe. I believe that my God reigns. I believe that there's nothing He can't do. I believe because I am so treasured, which is evident from the cross, that there is literally nothing God would not do for me. And even if I die, I live. Is Jesus that kind of living reality in your life? If it is... And you begin to make those changes. Don't be surprised when your people turn on you. You black loving, you white loving, you you sell out. You know how many people I've how many? Well, I've been accused of some of that as well, and I know some of you have too. But you see, they're not our people. They're just the church. This is our people. This is our first commitment. Now, do we lose our, our whiteness or our black? No, but we lose the sinfulness of saying, I've got to be faithful too. We've got to be faithful to Jesus. And in that becomes an all-new culture. An awe culture almost. It's this beautiful reality of the church that we've talked about in the book of Acts where, where the world hadn't seen it before. So in Antioch, they had to make up a name. They said, we don't have a category for these people because they were multi-class, because they were multi-ethnic. So we're going to, let's call them Christians, these Christ followers. You see, that's what the church is to be. And as such, a living apologetic to the world of the power of Christ to love our neighbor, not hate our neighbor. To move toward our neighbor, not pull away from our neighbor. You see, the whole economy of the cross is that Jesus was disadvantaged for us. And so we must be disadvantaged for somebody else. Because we're the only ones that have the power to do it without becoming arrogant and prideful. We can do it out of love and joy. Because our God, our Lord has done it for us. And then thirdly and finally, this reality that Jesus will come again, which is how our passage ends, is power to deny self and take up our cross and follow Him. Man, I am a sucker for those military reunion videos. You seen those? Where the children, you know, the little elementary kid is at class, and oh, we're going to have a visitor today. Okay, whatever, show and tell. And then the dad comes in, and oh! 
I mean, you're bawling, you know. I mean, I've watched those on YouTube. I don't know how many times. I even saw one where this guy comes back and his dog. I mean, the whole thing is is filming the dog's reaction to the the military father, you know. And the dog is you, you see the excitement. His tail's going. He's jumping up. He's, I mean, reunions. You see, that's our hope, friends. Jesus died, he rose, he ascended, but he's coming back. And if that's not a living reality to you, then you will not have power to live against the life, your flesh, that, that, that grasps for the life that, that you think you really need and want. The only thing that's going to give us the power to let go of that dream and hold on to the dream where the work is finished and Jesus is coming back, is to believe that the cross was that powerful. That no matter what you've done, through Him, your sins can be forgiven. No matter what you've done, it doesn't matter if you killed somebody, it doesn't matter if you've used all your money for yourself. No matter what you've done, you are loved by God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is such freeing news for this reason. We were made for that kind of love. And we were made for that kind of reunion. When one day, someday, Jesus comes back and He makes all things new. And that community that we talked about, this, these maps of Memphis will be a thing of the past. We won't even think about them again because we will have one community where the ground is level. We are all the same because we are loved the same. And we all have the same value. Dear friends, may God give downtown church the power through the gospel to begin to model to the world, to begin to be freed personally and therefore corporately, that Memphis might know that Jesus died. That the Son of God died. And we believe it. And we believe He rose. And we believe He's coming back. Because we're not seeking life how our neighbors seek it. We are settled on life in Christ Himself. Oh, God, give us the grace to believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life today. Lord Jesus, would You give us that that beautiful freedom of the Gospel that not only puts a smile on our face and tears in our eyes, but, but reorients our thinking to be able to die for those around us, to be able to, to live fully aware of the suffering of our neighbors and to, to go and love not just give money, but to lay our lives down, to lose our lives. Oh God, there's so much suffering around us. There's so much suffering in this world. Father, would you hasten the day that Jesus, you come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Put an end to the the suffering, the the raping and the pillaging in Sudan, in the Middle East. Oh God, would you do away with the hunger? Would you do away with the sickness and the illness? Would you do away with poverty? Would you do away with the disparity of education and the job market? Father, until that day, I pray that we would be hopeful and helpful because of Jesus and His cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.